0: Uh, This evening, we're going to be in Romans chapter 8, and also put a finger in Luke uh, 15. On Wednesday nights, we're taking a deep dive, an in-depth look off of a section of Scripture. And tonight, we're going to be looking at verse 15, and then launching into Luke chapter 15. So, Romans 8, verse 15, and Luke uh, 15, so appreciated the songs. The songs really highlighted and emphasized that God is our Father, and that is the title of the message, Our Father. So you you would think that Jared and I planned that out. We didn't. The Holy Spirit planned that out, this emphasis of God uh, being our Father. So let's pray together. Dad, Father, we thank you so much that you are our Father, and we know that in our heads, but we want to experience that in our hearts. We pray that you would take these next few moments and, and really bring this truth to home. That you, Jesus, came, died, rose again, so that we could be the adopted sons and daughters of God. Lord, we lift up our, our state to you. We lift up our city to you, and we do pray for spiritual revival. We pray for awakening that would take place, that many would come to know you. So we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So verse 15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Possibly the greatest thing about you is what's your perception of God? When you think about who God is, what comes to your heart and in your mind, do you think of God being a good, kind and benevolent father? You know, there's really nothing like a father. To, to have a father, to enjoy that relationship with a father. I talk about it from time to time, my dad. You know, he's just a real hero in my life, a, a best friend. I had a great childhood growing up with my mom and my dad and my brother and my sister. And there was some highlights there uh, for me, you know, being able to go out and hunt and fish with my dad in in Southern Oregon really didn't get any better than that. I can remember one Saturday morning, the Rogue River went through our hometown. It's a contributory of Pacific Ocean. And dad's like, let's go fishing. My brother didn't want to go. I wanted to go. We're trying to catch steelhead no fish, no fish, no fish. And I think my dad was starting to feel bad, and he's like, Eric, let's just pray about it. See if God will give us a fish. And so we prayed, and sure enough, a few minutes later, caught a steelhead. And I'm like, God answers prayer. You know, I was probably like eight or nine years old, just just doing backflips. And my dad would really come to life when he was out in God's creation. He's an engineer, a little more serious by personality, but when we were out enjoying God's creation, we would whitewater raft, and it was one of the few times I'd hear him yell out of excitement, like, woo! You know, like, this is awesome, and we're going down uh, these rapids and, and these type of things. But I didn't always uh, appreciate him growing up. Imagine that, right? It wasn't wasn't like we just had this this bliss of a relationship always uh, gr- growing up. And I remember being in eighth grade, really wanting a shot at the title, you know, feeling like I was, was big stuff, and Spelling has always been a struggle for me and continues to be a struggle for me. And I love Siri. It's like s- spell graduation. <laughs> there it is, right? You know, there it is for you. So my parents knew, Eric, you've got to study your spelling if you've got any chance to pass this test. And so my mom's like, Eric, it's time for you to study your spelling. And then that particular night, I was like, no, I'm, I'm not doing it. You know, And mom, you're not going to tell me that I need to study my spelling. So, so I got up and I, I threw my spelling book and said, no, I'm not, I'm not studying my, my spelling. And I walked down the stairs like I was tough stuff. And I could hear my dad walking down behind me. And you know that's like kind of the gauntlet when you do that to mom. That's kind of like slapping dad in the face. Like, you know. And for some reason in my mind, I just thought, this is it. Like, I'm going to I'm gonna take dad out at this point. And so I just turned around with these big guns right here, you know. just I just punched him in the stomach as hard as I could, right? And then I realized that it had no effect on him. Like, I punched him, and it's like, oh man, I don't even think he's in any pain over this. And fear just came over to me at that point. Like, my life is over. Like, dad is just going to— Gonna destroy me, and I'll never forget it. Is that there was a, a tear in his eye, and it wasn't because he was in pain. And he just looked at me. He says, "Eric, you've you've never hit me before." That broke my heart. It's Like we need to sit down and talk, and that just took the steam right out of me. Like I w- I was ready for him to hit me back, even though that wasn't in his character. I was ready to get grounded. I thought, man, I'm gonna get grounded. And we sat down and we had a talk and no normal pattern in our family is I would have had some some discipline for behavior like that. That, that was the norm. But at that moment, my dad decided to, to show me grace. And as my dad's life has progressed, uh, you know, he got diagnosed with really serious prostate cancer when he was 51. They told him he would have six months to live and he's still alive. You know, he, he just had his 70th birthday. But since then, has had a couple more bouts with cancer, has developed Parkinson's uh, disease. And his, his daily life is just a struggle. And it's, it's a challenge for him. And my mom's a, a warrior to take care of my dad. And I love seeing my dad, him being 70 years old. They live in Highlands Ranch now. And there's nothing like a little bit of time with my dad and affection from my dad. Like, I'll take a dad hug any day of the week, right? You know, just to be able to spend some time with dad, you know, give him a hug, get an embrace from him. And I want to tell you tonight that there's nothing like the father's love. There's nothing like knowing this truth that you don't have the spirit of condemnation, of bondage, of fear any longer, but you've received the spirit of adoption. You're the son, the daughter of God. If you're in Christ, you're the adopted child of God and you have a heavenly father that loves you more than you could possibly imagine. I want you to think about for a moment, some impact that maybe your father has had in your life. And this is when it gets a little bit painful, doesn't it? Because everybody here has got a dad. And everybody here has got a mom. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here, right? But some of you don't have a relationship with your dad. Or you don't have a good relationship with your dad. Or or your dad has been a source of pain in your life. But for others, you maybe have a story that's similar to mine. That you have a close relationship with your dad. But either way, there is a deep-rooted emotion that comes to us when we begin to process and think about our fathers. I enjoy being a son, but I also love being a dad. I've got four kids. Our our oldest is 18. She just graduated high school. We had our party on Sunday. I've been spending a lot of time reflecting on her growing up years, and I wouldn't trade anything for, for being a dad. You know, the happiest days of my life were when all four of my kids were born and holding them for the, the first time and being a husband and a dad, just it's top shelf. It, it, it takes uh, the cake. So, so think about your experience a little bit, good or bad, with your own father, dads, as, as you think about being a, being a dad. And then take your eyes off of your earthly father, your own ability to possibly be a father, And for the next few minutes, let's put our eyes on God as our father. And not allow an earthly father to be a stumbling block to the heavenly father. Because the best, most godly dad cannot perfectly represent a heavenly father. We mentioned this briefly on Sunday, but I want to camp here a little bit before we get into Luke 15. And Jesus came to bring us into this relationship with God as our Heavenly Father. In the Old Testament, they don't address God as Father, they address God as, as Lord. Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father. We get a window into how special the relationship between the Father and the Son is in the life of Christ. Jesus doesn't have a lot of time here on earth roughly 33 years, three years of public ministry. And every time that he possibly could, he went and spent time alone with the Father. And he always said and declared, it's my desire, it's my commitment to do the will of the Father. He didn't do anything that the Father didn't want him to do. The Father, the only time God speaks audibly from heaven is to affirm the Son, This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased when Jesus is baptized and the Mount of Transfiguration. This is the Eric paraphrase. Maybe you've heard it before, but it's the father from heaven saying, this is my boy right here. This is my boy. And I want the world to know I love this guy. I love my son. And Jesus loved the father. And The first and foremost reason that Jesus went to the cross is the Father asked him to. It was obedience and submission unto the Father. So they have this amazing relationship that we look at as a mystery. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And Jesus brings us into this relationship through the spirit of adoption. To where when he dies and rises again, he's able to say to Mary Magdalene, I'm going to... My father and your father. It's complete. Adoption has taken place to where now we're joint heirs with Christ. And the joy of Jesus to bring us into this relationship. That we could be joint heirs with Christ. That we could be the adopted sons and daughters of God. Don't you guys love pictures and stories? I mean, pictures and stories are, are so beautiful and they're, they're so, so powerful a video, and Luke 15, we see an amazing picture of our Heavenly Father with the prodigal son. So turn with me to Luke chapter 15. Oftentimes when we look at Luke 15, we see it through the lens of the prodigal son The younger brother who left everything and took the inheritance, left the family, took the inheritance, spent it on sinful living. Sometimes we ponder it through the second prodigal son. Did you know there's two prodigal sons in this story? It's the older brother. The older brother is doing everything right, never disobeyed his dad, but he's jealous And he had allowed his heart to think the worst of of the Father. So we think about it from the two sons' perspective, which is really worthwhile. But tonight, I want us to read Luke 15 and think about this from the perspective of, what do we learn about the Father? And this Father depicts God for us, our Heavenly Father. So let's pick it up in verse 11 of, of Luke 15. Then he said, a certain man had two sons, my two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. The younger son has got a case of the give me's. Give me my portion of the inheritance. He feels that he's entitled to it. That this belongs to him. There's no expression of, dad, you've worked so hard dad's not even dead yet. I mean, normally you get the inheritance when your father's died, and he's like, I want this right now. I want you to give it to me right, right now. What's kind of mind-blowing about this is so he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after the young son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living, is the father gives the son the inheritance. And the first thing that we learn about our father in this text is our father is wise. Our father is wise. Most people would look at this and go, I don't know if this is wisdom to give the inheritance to this young son who's entitled that lacks maturity. But I suggest to you, the father knows the heart of the son and knows that rebellion is in the heart of the son. And he's ultimately not going to be able to prevent this. And it's actually wisdom on behalf of the father to say, you want this? This is in your heart. I'm going to go ahead and give it to you. And one thing you can trust about our heavenly father is he is wise. And in his character, in his nature, God sometimes will give us what we want, (laughs) and what we want sometimes should scare us and should put some fear in us to the point where we say, I want what God wants. I want his will, not my will. Have you ever had a time in your relationship with God where you're like, God, you got to give me this. God, you got to give me this. I have to have this. I, I want this. Give me this or else and sometimes God in his wisdom as our father says, okay, I'm going to give it to you. Here's the, here's the inheritance. Let's, let's go see what you would do uh, with it. So this is the wisdom of our father. Our father is, is wise and he treats us in a manner of wisdom. So verse 14, but when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land and he began to be in want. So two strikes, really. The first strike is he just wastes all the inheritance on all of these sinful choices, but then there's a famine. His money is gone, but now there's not the opportunity to get work. There's not the opportunity to buy food. Verse 15, then he went and joined himself to a citizen of the country, and he sent him into his field to feed swine. So a lot of losses here. He loses all of his money. He spends it all. He loses his freedom. He's joined to a citizen of the country. It almost makes you think that he put himself into some type of servitude. He's, he's that broke where he enslaves himself to a citizen of the country. And now this owner sends him out into the fields to feed swine and he loses his dignity. So he loses his money. He loses his freedom. He loses his dignity. He's just feeding pigs. In verse 16, and he would have g- gladly filled his stomach with pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. He loses friends. He loses that community that he'd built around him that was really built off of partying, not true friendship. I don't know if you've ever had friends like that. Or you're great friends when you're partying, and then when the chips are down, they're nowhere to be found. So he's really come to a, a place of, of brokenness, but notice what he remembers. And this is what's just so comforting to me, is in the midst of this compromise and sin and rebellion, he still remembers his father. And I don't know about you, but there's been plenty of times in my relationship with God where I haven't been where I should be, and there's something inside of me that goes, man, I, I remember my father. I remember who God is. I remember his kindness. And this is what comes in verse 17. And this is where I think there starts to be a change in the prodigal. But when he came to himself, he has that epiphany. The lights go on. He, he came to himself. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I will perish with hunger. So the second thing about our father is our father's consistent He knows that the servants are cared for, and they have food, and they even have leftovers. How does he know that the father is caring for the servants even in the midst of this famine? Because he knows the character of his dad, that his dad's going to be consistent. That even though he's gone off the rails, his dad hasn't gone off the rails and has continued to manage the house faithfully and take care of the servants faithfully. And he's like, man, the servants have it way better than I have it here feeding the pigs. And even the pig's food looks good. That's when you know you're at a low when pig's food looks good. I lived at an orphanage in Mexico during a school of ministry. It was a great, great time. But all of the slop was fed to the pig. And then we had to butcher the pig. And I didn't eat any pork for like three years after that. I mean, it was just gross. It was just nasty, right? And much of the world, the pig is the garbage disposal, right? So they're taking their rotten food, their leftovers. It's it's just nasty. It's slop. And they're going, oh, give it to the pigs. The prodigal, his job is to feed the pigs. And he's like, that's looking good. (laughs) But he remembers the consistency of, of his father. And we have a heavenly father that's consistent. And I want you to hear this as he's consistent even when we're in our rebellion. He is faithful when we're faithless. And isn't that good news? I'm glad that we don't have a father that wavers when we waver. His emotions don't go along with, with our emotions. The father stayed consistent in his character even though the son was in this place of, of rebellion, and that's our God. He's consistent. That's our Father. Man, the world's getting crazy, isn't it? I mean, there's, there's so many things going on. I read the news today in, in South Carolina, passed a bill that you're only able to compete in high school sports according to your gender that's on your birth certificate. Praise the Lord, right? Like, That's a good law that should be passed, right? You know, uh, my daughter's in high school track and works really hard and then you got like a biological male competing against girls and it just wrecks girls' girls sports, right? But you're reading this and you're going, man, our world is crazy. (laughs) Our world, unfortunately, is, is changing in all of these bizarre ways, but guess what? God's consistent, God's consistent. You have a father who's consistent. Whether it's our lives that are changing or the world's changing, he is consistent. And we see that in the character of the father. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. This acknowledgement of sin, returning to the father. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired No longer entitled. No longer saying, give me this inheritance. I just want to be one of your servants. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And there's a lot of things we learn about our father in verse 20. And the first is patience. Our father is, is patient. What's so mind blowing to me with this story of of the prodigal is the father never goes after the prodigal son. And you'd think that he would. You'd think that he would track him down and say, hey, how's it going? Sleeping with harlots. You know, how's the drunken stupor working out for you? Pot doesn't seem to be making you smarter. You ready to come home? Like, none of that. You know, he none of that. He just waits. And he waits, and he waits, and he waits, and he waits. Because our Father is patient. Our Father is long-suffering with us. And he will wait for us to return to him. He will wait for us to draw near to him. This amazing promise of God. If we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. If you're at a place tonight where you're going, man, my relationship with God is not where I'd like it to be. And I've found myself in the pig pen, you can return. Thankfully, we serve a God that allows U-turns, amen? And come to him in humility, and he's just waiting patiently for us to return. Don't get this concept in your mind that our heavenly father has got a short fuse, that he's angry, that he's just waiting to bring judgment upon you, he's patient more patient than anything we'll ever experience in a human relationship, thankfully, right? This really shows his character of being patient, but he's also compassionate. It says when he saw him, he had compassion. I don't know about you, but this may not be the first emotion I would have in the father's shoes. Like, how could you? Like, you took the family inheritance that I worked so hard for, and you gave it over to harlots and drug dealers? Like, really? And now you want to come back and just kiss up to dad and make everything right? But the father looks at the son, and I'm sure the son's all beat up from hanging out with the pigs and this journey. We know the clothes are not in in good, good shape. He's like, that's my boy. That's my baby boy. And he has compassion on his son. And this is an attribute of God. This is an attribute of our Father. In Psalms 103, it tells us that God has compassion on us because he remembers that we are a product of the dust. (laughs) That the elements that are in the dirt are the elements in us. We have this lofty expectation of ourselves, and God's like, you're a bunch of dirt clods. I I love you guys, but you're a bunch of dirt clods, right? Right? and he's got compassion on our brokenness, compassion on our sinfulness. God's sweet spot, his soft spot is humility. This son has come to a place of humility. He's come to a place of brokenness. He's come to a place of acknowledging his sin. And so the father's ready to be compassionate. The father's ready to be merciful and gracious. So important to know about your heavenly father. He is compassionate. If you're thinking in your mind, I can't come back to God because God's going to get the big stick out and whack me on the hands. No, that's not the case. He's compassionate. But then also we see in this verse that he runs. He runs to his son and he kisses him and embraces his neck. He's just, he's just loving on his son. And the next thing that we see about our father is he's attached. We have a father that is attached to his kids. Even though the father gave the inheritance, even the father, though the father didn't go out and pursue the son and was patient and waited for the son to return, now as soon as he sees the son returning, now he goes And this is the only time in all of scripture that God is depicted in being in a hurry. God is in a hurry. The father is in a hurry to restore this prodigal son. And that's our father. When we drift, when we rebel, when we get off track and we come back to him in brokenness and humility, acknowledging our sin, he is running to us and he is running in that fatherly embrace, to comfort us with his love. Sometimes I think in our view of God, we, we think that God's not very attached, that he's kind of detached to us. Because he's God, and we're not, and he's holy, and we're sinful, and the galaxies in the universe is so big, the new telescope that has gone up into outer space that's providing all these images even greater than the Hubble spacecraft. And we hear reports of that and, and we go, man, God couldn't care about me. God, God couldn't be attached to, to me. And that, that almost sounds wrong theologically because we know that God is independent in and of himself and he's not attached to us in the sense that, that he needs us. But this is his love for us. This is what we feel as parents, this is the reality of, of the love that God has put inside of us for, for our kids, where, where we love them. And you have a father, a heavenly father, that loves you, and his heart is towards you. And that's what's expressed in this verse. So if you're coming back to the Lord, he's ready to embrace you. But you don't have to be drifted from the Lord for him to want to embrace you tonight. Amen? Amen. Like, you're his son you're his daughter, you're in Jesus. And so he's like, come in close. We always have this opportunity to come in close because of his love for us. And in his love for us, he's attached to us the way that a father would be to his children. Awesome. In verse 21, and the son said to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Our father is gracious. Our father's gracious. The robe... He obviously needed new clothes, but the robe speaks of the fact that he's being restored to sonship. He's being restored to a place of being a son. He's not going to be a hired servant. The father could have easily said, Hey, I told you so. I told you so. Or it's about time. Or you finally called, you jerk you know, and just let him feel it and and let him have it. But that wasn't the father. He says, here, let me me put a robe on you. Let me put sandals on your your feet. Remember in the Old Testament with Moses in the burning bush? He was in God's presence. What did God say? Take your sandals off because the place where you're at is holy. Under the law, I was like, man, you better take your sandals off. Under the new covenant of God's grace, God's putting sandals on our feet that we don't deserve. How gracious is our Father? To the point where we're robed in Christ's righteousness. That's the robe that we've been given. That's the picture here. The fatted calf, the filet mignon is brought out and there's this big party that takes place and the feast that we enjoy is is the feast of the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ to cause our hearts to, to rejoice. I'll be honest, I don't picture God like this very often, where God's like singing with joy here as a father. He's like shouting to the rooftops, like, my boy has come home, and they make merry. They're like, everybody's celebrating. They're celebrating so much to the point where the older brother hears about it out in the field. If you go back and you study the first part of Luke 15, there's a lost sheep and a lost coin, that were looked for and pursued. And it's an example of God pursuing us the way that a shepherd would pursue a sheep and a widow would pursue a coin. But the climax, the apex of this text is the son. The son was lost and now he's found. He was dead and now he's alive. This is the way that God feels when a sinner repents and is born again. This is how he feels when a believer that's walked away has, has come back. This is how God feels when a child of God's walking in fellowship with him. He's like, oh man, this this causes my heart to rejoice. It causes my heart to to be merry. Well, now the second prodigal son, and it's the older brother. Now his older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. He's like, it's not Fourth of July. like, What's going on here? Like, there's, it's not on the calendar. We weren't supposed to have this party. And he said to him, your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. Notice the response. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. He, he's mad. He's ticked off. Why did dad do this? Why why did dad throw this party for my brother who squandered the inheritance? But notice what the father does. The father comes out and pleads with him. Another aspect of who our father is, is our father is communicative. The father comes out to the older brother and he pleads with him. And he shares his heart with him. And he challenges him. And we have a father that loves us enough to do that. He will challenge us in his word. He'll challenge us through brothers and sisters in Christ because he wants our heart. He doesn't want to see the heart of the older brothers stay in this place. And so he pleads with them. In verse 29, "'So he answered and said to his father, "'Lo, these many years I've been serving you. "'I've never transgressed your command at any time.' And yet you never gave me a young goat that I may make merry with my friends. Like, Dad, I've been doing everything you've asked. I never disobeyed one of your commands. I'm running this, this farm. And I never got filet young. I didn't get the fatted calf. I didn't even get a young goat for a barbecue. I'm no expert on eating goat. But I don't think goat is as good as beef, right? I don't think goat is as good as filet mignon. And he's like, I don't even get a stinking goat. And now he's starting to view the father through criticism. And sometimes that can happen to us, unfortunately. We can start to view our heavenly father with disdain because how he's treated others. God, it, it seems like this guy over here is getting blessed and they're not even following you or walked away from you and have come back to you. And here I've been over here following you faithfully and I'm, I'm getting shortchanged here and our heart can start to, to get bitter. I've seen myself in this place of, of being uh, the older brother. Unfortunately for me, like when I went to Bible college and school ministry, I got done with those three years of preparation and I thought, I had earned and deserved a right to be hired as a youth pastor. And I really wanted to be hired as a youth pastor at my home church. And when they didn't want to hire me and hired one of my friends that I knew in high school that didn't live for the Lord, I was like, this is wrong, right? Like, like I know him. And I had, in my mind, thought that I was more deserving of this position of of being a youth pastor. But God knows he needed to humble my heart and And caused me to see my my own sin. And, And that's where this older brother is at. In verse 30, But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you've killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost, and is found. Son, you always have me with you. We're, we're together, and all that I have is yours. So the father shows with the older brother that he's communicative. He, he loves the son enough to bring correction, to bring the older brother's heart in line with where it needed to be. One section of scripture and and we'll be done. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 1 verse 3. This promise of God being our father. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercy, and the God of all comfort. God promises comfort. This is quite a promise that his comfort is greater than any pain. Any pain that we could go through in life, he has the ability to comfort us. Notice what's the source of comfort. It's the father of mercy. The father of mercy is the one who comforts. It's this father-son thing. Father-daughter thing. It's adopted children of God. The father of mercy. The word mercy means unending love. Unending love. I've shared a bit about this in the past and I just kind of want to end here in my life. If This teaching of God being my father is something that's developing in me and I don't have it all figured out and I don't have it all wrapped up but historically for me in my relationship with God it's a lot easier to relate to him as lord as god as him being all powerful and it was two summers ago when i was coming out of some health challenges and i really got my can kicked and thankfully i'm doing a lot better but through through that summer was a lot of grieving and it came to a point came to a head one one night where i was just really broken and i was just laying in my bed and was praying, you know, um, just, just quietly in my heart. And God, by his grace in, in that moment, allowed me to experience in a deeper way of him being my dad, where it was just this still small voice of God speaking to me of, of Eric, I'm your dad, and I'm, I'm here. And it was that realization of him being my dad in that moment that was enough. And I remember thinking in that season, man, if it took this trial in my life to get me to go deeper into my father's love, it was worth it. It was worth it. And I wish that we could press into this truth of him being our dad without trial and without difficulty, but at least for me, it's tribulation that moves me closer to my Father, if I allow it to, if I respond in, in, in that way. I know that all of us have pain in our life some past, some present. We'll definitely have pain in the future. But the answer for comfort is a who it's going deeper into this Father's love of Him being the Father of mercy. I think this is applicable to every single one of us here tonight in the sanctuary listening online because our soul is in some state, but the answer is the spirit of adoption where he's our dad. If you're in a time of rejoicing and blessing, guess what? Climb up into the arms of your father in gratitude and thank him for that. He wants to enjoy that with you. He's the author of every good and perfect gift. If you're in a season where you've walked away from the Lord, you've drifted from him, you found yourself in a place where you never thought you'd be, don't hear the voice of condemnation. Romans 8.1, There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are not condemned. He has not forsaken you. He's not angry at you. He's not telling you, I told you so, and beating you up with shame. He simply wants you to come back. And have that epiphany. It's better with my father. It's better with my father. I'm going back to my father. And he's gonna run to you. He's gonna be gracious to you. He's gonna throw a party. We're gonna rejoice with you. But you don't leave tonight without coming back to the Lord. You know the pig pen of the world. It's not gonna satisfy. Don't stay there, come back to the Lord. As we take communion, come to his table of grace and be restored in fellowship with him. If you're in a season of suffering and you're getting your can kicked and your soul is bouncing off the bottom, guess what? You have a father that loves you, a father of mercy. You too can climb up into his lap and express the brokenness, the frustration and he will hold you, and he will comfort you. There's a peace that he wants to give that surpasses understanding, and it's the peace of knowing that he's got everything in control. The beauty of a small child is you don't have to explain to them, hey, everything's gonna work out. What do you do? You pick them up as a parent, and you hold them close in your arms, and you say, ah, dad's got you. It's gonna be all right. And they trust you and they believe you, and they receive that peace that surpasses understanding. And as we come to that communion table tonight, to enter into this place of saying, Dad, I need you. I need that peace that surpasses understanding, and I trust that you've got it. But here's the good news. Here is the good news. If you're in Christ, you're adopted son, daughter of God, and He is our Father. Let's stand and pray together. Father, we're blown away by your character as we read of the the prodigal son. Only you, only you can love us this way. And no matter what season that we're in, where there's blessing, we give that to you. Dad, thank you for every good and perfect gift that comes from you. If we're in trial or difficulty and there's confusion, a dark cloud over us, Dad, we bring that to you. And ask for your comfort. You're the father of mercy. And where we've drifted, where we've fallen away, we come back to you and know that you're going to be gracious to restore us. So we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.